Amen. Have your Bible this morning. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Let me read beginning in verse 1 with you. I'm going to go ahead and read down to verse 9, though our focus will come back to verses 2 and 3. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Beloved, as we open our Bibles here to this passage, the verses I read to you, the Apostle Paul here is laying out for us a course on how it is that we are to be spiritually strong in the Lord, spiritually stable in the Lord, or as he says there in verse 1, standing firm in the Lord. And I want you to understand that standing firm in the Lord is something that is very important to our cause for the gospel of Christ. It was something that was a major concern for the Apostle Paul and all the churches that he had to address and to deal with. Just to help you to see that, just listen carefully to how often Paul refers to churches needing to stand firm and stand firm in the Lord. Over in the book of Ephesians, when he was writing to the church at Ephesus in chapter 6, in verses 11, 13, and 14 there, he was telling them to put on the full armor of God so that they could stand firm, stand firm in the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8, he says there, Now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, Stand firm and hold to the tradition which you were taught. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 5, writing to the church at Colossae, he says, For we though I am for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Over in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, when he was writing to the churches throughout that area of Galatia, he says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. A vital part of the gospel mission for a church 
is that they are one, united together, standing firm in the Lord. And what Paul shares with us here in these nine verses that I just read to you a moment ago is how it is that we are to stand firm in the Lord. If you recall, look back with me in verse 1 for a moment. He indicates this to us when he says, In this way, stand firm in the Lord. Or maybe in some of your translations it says, So, stand firm in the Lord. He is pointing to what it is he's about to share in verses 2 through 9. Stand firm in this way. In what way? By doing the things I'm going to share with you, beginning in verse 2 down to verse 9. That's what Paul is giving us here in these verses, in these opening verses of chapter 4, is how it is that we personally and also corporately as a church can obtain and maintain spiritual stability in our life, spiritual stability and strength in the church. It's going to require that we follow through on the commitments that we are called to here in these verses. And let me just give them to you. As we look through these nine verses that he has given to us, really beginning in verse 2 down to verse 9, for there to be spiritual stability in the church, it requires a commitment to resolve personal conflicts biblically. That's what we're going to see in verses 2 and 3 when he's speaking to these two women in the church that were having some type of personal conflict. If we're going to be a spiritually strong church, spiritually stable, it will require that we are committed to resolving personal conflicts in the church in a biblical fashion. But secondly, it's also going to require that we have a commitment to rejoice in the Lord always. That is, to rejoice in the Lord as our pattern. That's what he's going to share with us there in verse 4. But thirdly, it's also going to require that we have a commitment to respond with gentleness to everyone that will respond with gentleness to everyone. This is what he's saying in the opening verse, uh, part of verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. But also, beloved, when we go through this passage and we look down at verse 4, for there to be spiritual stability in a church and a spiritual stability in your life, it requires also that you have a commitment to remember that the Lord is present. That he is there. He is among us. As he says there in verse 5, the Lord is near. And then when we come to verses 6 and 7, there he's going to require that we have a commitment to replace anxiety with prayer. Replace anxiety with prayer. And then now as you look down at verse 8, it also will require that we are committed to reflecting on those things that are good, especially those things that are good about other people. And then finally, when you look down at verse 9 there, when he says, These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
He's finally just saying this. Repeat over and over again as your practice all the things I just shared with you in verses 2 through 8. Just repeat those things over and over and over again as a practice in your life. And if we will do that, he says, the God of peace will be with you. He obviously will be in you, but he will be with us and among us, working in our lives, making us spiritually strong and stable in the Lord. As we think about this list of requirements that we just walked through, just think to the other side of that. And it does make sense to understand these things are required for us to have spiritual stability because if a church, instead of resolving personal conflicts biblically, resolves them unbiblically or leaves them unresolved, it leads to an unstable church. If a church, instead of rejoicing in the Lord as their pattern, is known for their complaints in the Lord as their pattern, that will be an unstable church. If a church is one that, instead of responding with gentleness to all people in all situations, responds with harshness, it will be an unstable church. If it's a church that forgets that the Lord is present and in their midst, when they gather and when they discuss and when they work through things, it will be an unstable church. If it's a church that focuses on anxiety and worry about the things around them, the things that they're seeing or not seeing, instead of bringing it to the Lord in prayer, it will be an unstable church. If a church, instead of reflecting on those things that are good, it's reflecting on the things that are bad, it will be an unstable church. And if they repeat these things over and over again as their practice, then it will be an unstable church. Beloved, also, let me just say this, as we think about these principles, it doesn't just apply for the church. This would be for your own life personally, and this would be even for your family if you want to be spiritually strong personally in the Lord, if you want to have a home that is spiritually strong and standing firm in the Lord, if you want to have a marriage that is spiritually strong and standing firm in the Lord, these are things that you must have a commitment to. And if you do have this commitment, God's Word is telling us that there will be a peace and a strength that will be there in your life in your home, in your marriage, in your family, and in your church. If we will follow what God's Word is saying. Now this morning as we're going to come back in verses 2 and 3, the first thing that Paul addresses in the way that they are to stand firm, that is by resolving personal conflicts. And I want just to introduce this subject to you this morning. Because pursuing peace, cultivating peacemaking in the church must be a priority for all of us if we're going to stand firm together in the Lord. God desires that His people be united God desires that His people are always pursuing peace with one another. 
And just to help you to understand that, listen carefully. You don't need to turn there, but listen carefully to these verses from the Old Testament to the New Testament, positively and negatively speaking about us pursuing peace, being peacemakers, having unity. Listen to this. Psalm 34 verse 14 says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Jesus himself said over in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus also said in that same sermon in Matthew 5 and verse 23 and 24, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Jesus also said over in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 50, Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Romans 14, verse 19, Paul says, So then we pursue, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Paul also said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Galatians chapter 5, if you recall, verse 22 and 23, when he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In Ephesians 4, and verses 1 through 3, he wrote to the church at Ephesus saying, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 13 through 15, he says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. To the church at Thessalonica, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, Live in peace with one another. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, writing to young Timothy, the leader and pastor of the church there at Ephesus, he says, Now flee from youthful lusts, these are the things you run from, but he says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. 
pursue peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And then the apostle Peter wrote over in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 to sum up all, to sum up all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. He must do this. Now listen to some negative ways that God's word approaches this subject. Over in Galatians chapter 5, you not only have the fruit of the Spirit, but remember that's where you have the deeds of the flesh. And in Galatians 5 and verse 15 it says, But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please but if you are led by the Spirit you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. In fact, Paul had to warn the churches at Galatia. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 26, he says, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another. And that word for challenging there, there, he basically says, looking to pick a fight, to provoke one another, envying one another. In James chapter 3 and verse 14 to 16 it says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. James chapter 4 and verse 1 through 3, he says, What is the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures and that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. The pastor and the leader of that church, as I mentioned a moment ago, over in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and, verse 2 and verses 23 to 26, he says, But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but he has to be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, and with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Brother, as we think back to this, 
I hope you see just from those verses, and there's others we could have turned to, just how important this is, this subject of pursuing peace, of being, having peacemaking in the church, that we are committed to resolving personal conflicts. Let me just give you some universal truths that will help us as we prepare to walk through this passage together in verses 2 and 3. First one is this. God is the God of peace. God is the God of peace. We're told that even down in verse 9 of Philippians 4. And the God of peace. God is a peacemaker. He is the God of peace. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as the Prince of Peace. And first and foremost, what I hope you will recognize today for anyone and that everyone is here, that God is a God of peace. And first and foremost, you need peace with God. This is where it must all start. We cannot stand firm in the Lord and we cannot resolve things biblically and rightly unless we all have peace with God. That is, unless we have been reconciled to God. And the wonderful news is, is that God has provided everything as the peacemaker for anyone and everyone that is here that is in need of having peace with Him, of being reconciled to Him. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. He says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, that is to dwell in Christ, and through Him, through Christ, to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven... And notice now, if you want to turn over there, Colossians chapter 1, and notice what he says in verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated, that is your position, and you were hostile in your mind, that is your perspective, and you were engaged in evil deeds, that was your practice. Although this is what was true of you, In your position, you were alienated from God. In your perspective, you were hostile in your mind towards God. And in your practice, you were engaging in evil deeds. Yet, He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. We're told in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's why he follows up that and says, we are ambassadors with Christ and we go out with a message to people and my message to anyone and everyone who is here this morning, if you're lost and separated from God, my message to you is I'm begging you and I'm pleading with you, be reconciled to God. You must be reconciled to God. You must see that you need to be reconciled to God. You need to be reconciled to God because your sins separate you from God. 
You came into this world as a sinner. You've gone astray from birth. You're living your life, going your own way, doing your own thing in rebellion against God. But God being a peacemaker, the God of peace, has come and through Christ is now there to reconcile you to himself through his life and his death on the cross whereby he was taking your sins upon himself so that the sins that God holds against you were placed on him if you will put your faith in him. If you see that you are a sinner, remember, just as we saw there in chapter 1 of Colossians, this is the way you must see yourself, that positionally, I am alienated from God. Perspectively, my mind is hostile towards God. And practically, I'm engaged in evil deeds because if I'm living my life outside of salvation in Christ, Please understand, God looks at all your deeds as filthy rags. Filthy rags. But the good news is, is that He is the God of peace. And He wants reconciliation. But you must humble yourself. And you must turn. And you must come to Him and bow before Him and trust Him. Trust Jesus and His life for you. Trust in His death on the cross. Trust in His resurrection. God is the God of peace. That's the first universal truth and reality I want us to think about as we prepare ourselves to looking at how we resolve personal conflicts. It starts with you resolving the conflict that you have with God. And it's only through Christ and Christ alone. But secondly, it's very important that you also remember this, that as long as there are sinners and as long as there is sin in this world, you are going to face and experience personal conflicts. As long as there are sinners and sin in this world, you are going to experience personal conflicts in this world. Since the fall of man, back in the garden, there has been conflict. I mean, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, there was instantly and immediately conflict between man and God. But it was more than that. You go back and you look in the garden and you see once the fall of man happened, there was also conflict between the man and the woman. Then there was conflict between the two brothers, Cain and Abel. Then there was conflict between the parents and Cain because Cain walked away from them and walked away from the presence of God. You read a little further in the book of Genesis and you see that there is clearly so much conflict and violence here on the earth that when God looked down, that's all he saw. And so God flooded this world and destroyed it. Then God raised up a man by the name of Abraham. 
But you also remember there was conflict between Abraham and Lot. God raised up nations and the nations spread out. But when you read through the Old Testament, you see that there is conflict between the nations. God raised up the nation of Israel through Abraham and you see there was conflict between the nation of Israel and the other nations around it. But not only that, when you read through the Old Testament, you see there was conflict within the nation of Israel itself. So much so it ended up being a divided kingdom. We come into the New Testament and we even look among the actual disciples and apostles of Jesus and there was conflict. Remember, some of them began to argue and wanted to to debate about who was going to be the greatest. We read in the early church and the church hasn't been founded for very long and all of a sudden we see there in the book of Acts there's conflict in the church. Beloved, As you read through the Bible, please understand until God establishes the new heaven and the new earth with the new Jerusalem, there will be conflict. There's just going to be personal conflict. Not until sin and Satan are removed permanently will there no longer be conflict in our lives. But one other truth, just to bring it a little more personal. And that is this. Because there are sinners, yes, they're saved, but because there are sinners in the church, there will be personal conflict in the church. There will be personal conflict in the church. Every church Every ministry, every Christian will face conflict. You think back, let's look back for a moment here in Philippians 4. Because we don't know a whole lot about these two ladies that Paul mentions here in verse 2. But there's two things that we do know about them. Number one, we know that they are saints and sisters in the Lord. We know that because as he goes on to describe there in verse 3, when he says, whose names are in the book of life, which means they are saved. And they are sisters in the Lord. These are saved sisters in the Lord that are having personal conflict in this church. Not only that, beloved, when you read through again in verse 3, they're also, these are servants and soldiers of the Lord. Paul says, when he's writing to the true companion, I ask you also there in verse 3 to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. These ladies have served with the Apostle Paul. They have been servants. They have been soldiers in the fight for the gospel. They have been on the front line with the Apostle Paul, standing side by side with one another and standing side by side with Paul, fighting for the cause of the gospel. But apparently what has happened is, instead of fighting for the cause of the gospel, they've turned and now have began to fight amongst themselves. Now, beloved... I'm just going to share with you that the only way you're ever going to find a church 
or a family or a marriage or anything of that nature where there are never ever going to be personal conflict is one if you have perfect people. But guess what? We learn from Philippians chapter 3 there's no one here who's perfect. We're all still striving towards it. And secondly, where you have people who are passionate. You notice, these are, these are not ladies just on the sidelines of ministry at the church at Philippi. These are two ladies that have been out front. These are two ladies that have been serving faithfully. And that's usually the way it will happen. People who are zealous for ministry, zealous for the church, zealous for things that are going on. But that's not the way that you avoid personal conflict. You don't avoid personal conflict in the church by saying, well, we just won't be zealous about anything. We just won't be passionate about anything. But you look here, it happened here in the church at Philippi. And beloved, it would happen again. Personal conflict has happened no doubt, in our church throughout its history, and it will happen again. Personal conflict has happened in your life, and it will happen again. I'm not saying that to excuse it, but just to remind us that this is reality. So what we must do then is be committed to resolving personal conflicts biblically in a way that honors God and unites the church in the Lord. This is how we will stand firm together in the Lord. By resolving personal conflicts as they come our way. And that's what we'll begin to do Next time, when we really focus in on some of the details of what it is that Paul does for these ladies. When he's just helping this church and these two ladies in particular, but he's helping this for the whole church there as well. But let me just close with this for this morning. And that is this. First and foremost, do you have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? It is way more important that you have peace with God more than you have peace with anyone else. You need to be reconciled to God. You need to have true salvation in Christ. But secondly, I want to encourage you to begin as believers right now from this message to prepare your heart. Examine how it is that you want to resolve personal conflicts as they come into your life. Again, that doesn't just mean here in the church. This is just life in general. Prepare your heart to examine how it is that you have been doing it and how it is that God's Word will tell us to do it. Secondly, for us as believers here today, pray. 
This should be a faithful part of our prayers for our church that we will be committed to resolving conflicts biblically in a way that honors the Lord. Then finally, I would just say this. Pursue it yourself. Pursue peace. Make the commitment in your heart before the Lord that you are going to pursue peace. If there's anyone that you would happen to be at odds with, that you are going to pursue peace. And you're going to pursue peace as God's Word calls on us to do. Look, we just read through, I don't know how many verses, where over and over again, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it keeps saying, pursue peace, pursue peace, pursue peace. If so far as it depends on you, pursue peace with everyone. And there happen to be someone that maybe you're at odds with that you need to pursue peace about, ask God right now to help you to do that. To pursue peace. To be committed to resolving whatever the issue may be. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.